Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. We are finishing up a sermon series that we started weeks ago through the summer looking at some different characters in the Old Testament. We looked at the book of Ruth. We spent some time looking at the prophet Elisha. And today we're finishing up our sermon series on the prophet Elijah first, now Elisha today. So we're in 2 Kings chapter 6 today, verses 8 to 23. I would invite you to follow along in the pew Bibles that are in front of you. It's on page 579. Feel free to use a Bible app if you have one on your phone, or just listen. That works fine, too, as we'll read through the verses. Who are my Scooby-Doo fans in here? Who's ever seen an episode of Scooby-Doo? Raise your hand if you've seen an episode of Scooby-Doo. Okay, not everyone, but most people. Well, then I think I'm safe because most of you will recognize this person on the screen. You can shout it out. Who is that? From Scooby-Doo? Velma. Velma. Yep. Jinkies. Most of you got it right. I think that's her word, right? Jinkies that she says all the time. And if you remember anything about Scooby-Doo, you might remember that Velma's kind of the brains of the operation, right? She's the one that seems to solve all the clues, get to the bottom of the mystery, and then is probably the one that the criminals call the meddling kid that gets, the, gets them in trouble, right? But if you remember Velma, you also remember she has a weakness. And it seems to come up in almost every episode. Somehow her glasses get knocked off, and she has to search the ground for them, and she can see nothing until her glasses are on again. It's not until Velma can see clearly that she can calmly solve the mystery that is in front of the Scooby-Doo and the gang. That's what happens in 2 Kings chapter 6. There's some eyes that aren't very clear, that are full of fear, hearts that then are full of fear, waiting to see what's going to happen. And so as we look at these verses from 2 Kings chapter 6 today, we'll do so under the theme, God's amazing protection. And as we see God's amazing protection, we'll also note these two things, that when our eyes are fuzzy, then our hearts are fearful. But when God blesses us with the clear eyes of faith, then he calms our troubled hearts. I don't know how many of you love maps, but I like to at least kind of see where we are in the world. So what we're going to be talking about today is the nation of Aram. You can see them up on the top here. That's modern-day Syria. And the Aramean nation is at war with Israel. And this is where the whole story is going to happen as Aram is trying to bring people into Israel to cause some trouble and Elisha gets to intervene. If you're on page 579, I'm going to read verses 8 through 12 of chapter 6 of 2 Kings. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. You can sense it, can't you? The frustration of the king of Aram. From what we can gather from other places in scripture, this is Ben-Hadad II. That's the name of the king of Aram. 
And he's frustrated because he's sending out these raiding parties, these opportunities to ambush the people of Israel, only to find out that every time he sends them out, they already know that they're going to be there. It seems that Israel, under King Joram, is one step ahead of Aram. And so the king gets upset. He brings in his officers and he accuses one of them of being a traitor. He says, listen, the only way the king of Israel can know this information is if one of you, my officers, is passing it on to him. It's the only conclusion he could draw. How else would the people of Israel know exactly where he was going to be time and again? Can you imagine the shock of the king of Aram when one of his officers said the words that they said to him? No, it's not any of us, but the prophet Elisha. He hears the very words spoken in your bedroom. It's kind of an amazing thing if you think about it. You've maybe heard the expression, a, a fly on the wall, that you'd like to be somewhere to hear a conversation so you could eavesdrop on what's being said. It's almost as if that's exactly what Elisha was able to do, eavesdrop on the conversations that were happening between the king of Aram and his officers. Elijah knew exactly what was, Elisha knew exactly what was going to happen. But we know that it wasn't Elisha's powers that gave him that knowledge. This was God who let Elisha know exactly where the king of Aram was going to be. There's a name for that, God's omniscience. Maybe you remember learning that word somewhere along the line if you took some confirmation classes or catechism classes, that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. That means nothing. Not one thing that happens in this world ever escapes God's notice. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? that God knows what's happening right now here in Madison, Wisconsin, but he also knows what's happening every other place in the world at the exact same time. And that omniscience of God is something that King David spoke about in Psalm 139. He said this, You searched me and you know me, O Lord. You know when I sit and when I rise. Before a word is on my lips, you know it completely. How do you feel about God's omniscience? I hope at first, as you think about God being all-knowing, it brings some tremendous comfort to you because it means that God knows exactly what's happening in your life right now. He knows the struggles. He knows the joys. He knows the frustrations. He knows the hurts that you are going through, and he knows how best to supply the needs that you have. It's wonderful to think God doesn't miss anything about my life. I think about students today who are beginning school in just a few days or others that might be beginning new things in their life. Isn't it great to know that God already knows? He's already got your semester planned out. He already knows what the next days and weeks hold in your life. That's the joy of God's omniscience. But you see with me that there's also a little bit of a frightening side to God's omniscience. God knows everything. Before a word is on my lips, he knows it completely. Maybe you're like me and you're thankful that there are sins that happen in your mind or, or maybe in the privacy of your car when you're yelling at the other driver. Maybe I don't do that, but maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Right? And you think, oh, I'm glad nobody knows what I said or what I'm thinking. We think that maybe there's this idea that there's secret sins out there that are just, just ours. 
like me, do you all of a sudden come to the realization sometimes that there's no such thing as a secret sin? That even the things that I'm the only one that knows about that happen in my head and in my heart, God knows? That's a scary part of God's omniscience. There's nothing that I can get away with. There's nothing that I can do that escapes his notice. But isn't that remarkable? That same God who knows everything about me, he knows all of my shortcomings, he knows all of your sins and mine, that's the God who still loves us. That's the God who still said, yes, I'm going to send Jesus to die for their sins. That's amazing when we think about God's omniscience. Well, let's see how God used that omniscience in the story as we go back to the story in verses 13 to 17. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It didn't take long for the king of Aram to go into action. When he found out that it was Elisha who was spilling all of his secrets, he heads to the city of Dothan at night and surrounds the city, not with just a small force of men, but with horses and chariots. And then, when the servant of Elisha wakes up in the next morning and looks out, he's overcome. He's fearful because he sees we're outnumbered. There's no chance. What are we going to do? You see how his fuzzy eyes led to a fearful heart? He could only see the danger that was in front of him, and he forgot about the God that he served. But Elisha didn't. Don't you love his words? Don't be afraid. There's no reason to fear. Yeah, this huge force with horses and chariots is out there, but God's got this. And then those words, did you hear them? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That certainly didn't square with what the servant was seeing. He's seeing a huge force of Aramean soldiers, and it's just Elisha and the servant, but Elisha says there's more of us. There's more for us than for them. And then he prays, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes so he can see. And when his eyes are open, he sees the hills filled. They're surrounded by a huge force, an angel army of chariots and horses of fire. What an amazing comfort that God gives to the servant and to Elisha as they are now seeing God's presence, God's defense of them. And that clear eyes that they're able to see with brings a calm heart. I tried to find the best picture I could this week of this event. I thought this one was pretty good. You see Elisha and his servant in the middle there, surrounded by the Aramean army, and there's the, the, the horses and chariots of fire, God's angel army. I don't know if you can see in the picture even the hands of God kind of underneath uh, the two men. That's what God's saying. That's what they're getting to see. It's 
it's exactly what God says in his word when he promises in Psalm 91 that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That's not something to take lightly. That's something to hold in our hearts and in our heads that, that God's protection is with us always. Because if we're honest, we live in a fearful world. We live in a world where trouble is waiting for us at every turn. We can think about the threat on a global scale of nuclear war or, or maybe another pandemic or terrorism or crime. The 24-hour news cycle gives us plenty of reasons to be afraid, doesn't it? Or maybe things that hit a little closer to home. If we are a loved one struggling with depression or a mental illness, or maybe we have someone in the family stricken by cancer, or maybe it's the job market. Is there going to be a job waiting for me when I'm done with my school? Or maybe it's just O-Chem class that everybody tells you is next to impossible. There's lots of reasons for us to be afraid. And then aren't there times that, that we simply act like and think like Elisha's servant? What are we going to do? Elisha's words to the servant are God's words to you and to me this morning. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Just let that promise sink in. God says, you, with God, are always a majority. It doesn't matter what anyone throws at. It doesn't matter what trouble comes in this life. It's never too much for God to handle. It's never too much for God to overcome. And as Paul so clearly stated in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, then there is nothing that can stand against us. We might ask the question, what do we do? And, and God tells us, it's already done. On the cross, Jesus already took our place. Jesus already made us holy, righteous, standing before God without sin because he took our sins to a cross. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, that's your guarantee that you are in right standing before God and you have eternal life as your inheritance. What do we have to fear? If that's the God who did that, who loved us so much to take care of all of our sins. Let's finish up the story as we look at verses 18 to 23 of 2 Kings chapter 6. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and, and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked. And they, there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. And they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Do you love Elisha's boldness? It wasn't just that he could see God surrounding him. He let it make a difference in his life. As the Aramean enemy began to come forward, he didn't run. He simply prayed, God, 
strike them with blindness, and that was God's judgment. All of a sudden, the entire Aramean army was blinded. And what happens next is almost comical if you think about it, because God actually like flips the whole concept. Here's the Aramean army surrounding Elisha and his servant, and the next thing they know, they're surrounded by the Israelite army. Elisha actually says, you're in the wrong place. Let me take you where you're supposed to go. Leads them to Samaria, and when they get to Samaria, they're surrounded by Israelites. And then the king asks an interesting question. Should I kill them? I mean, after all, the people from Aram were certainly there to cause trouble for the people of Israel. But we get a taste of God's mercy and grace when Elisha brings back the answer, nope, don't kill them. Instead, feed them. And so the king of Israel puts a meal before the Aramean soldiers and then sends them back home. The result shouldn't surprise us. There's then peace between Aram and Israel. You can almost picture it, can't you? The Aramean soldiers go back home and they say, we don't know what happened. One minute we were surrounding Elisha, we thought we had him, and the next thing you know, we were surrounded by the Israelite army, and then they just fed us a meal and sent us back home. Peace between Aram and Israel. And maybe at first we're surprised by that until we think that that's exactly what God has done for us. Instead of judgment, he's amazed us with his grace and mercy. Instead of what our sins deserve, God has given us Jesus. God has given us the forgiveness that we need. God has said, no, let them live. And let them live with me forever because my son, Jesus, took their place. He's the one who rescued us from sin. It's Jesus and faith in him that takes the cloud from our eyes, that clears our vision and that's that faith that lets us see clearly so that our, calm, our hearts are calmed by the promises of God. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, since God knows all things, he knows exactly what is happening in our lives. Do you remember that Jesus once said this? Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. That's how deeply God knows you and knows me. Number two, God sends his angel army to guard us and keep us safe. In the psalm, Psalm 34, we're told this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. That's God's promise, that, that his angel army is at work in your life. Number three, God gives us the clear eyes of faith to calm our troubled hearts. Jesus himself said this in John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Somebody sent me this picture a few weeks ago, and I thought it was fitting in the sermon that, uh, in this, to summarize 1 Kings chapter 6. Those who leave everything in God's hands eventually will eventually see God's hand in everything. Isn't that what was at work here in 2 Kings chapter 6? God's hand in everything? God wants to calm your troubled heart. God wants to take away the cloud from our vision when we worry and become anxious. He wants to touch our hearts with a clear, a clear faith to see all that he has done for us. That's the blessing that we have from our Savior. It's a blessing that means not only great things for us in this life, but an eternal life with him forever in heaven. Yes, God's awesome and amazing protection is with you every single day as his host 
His angel army protects you. That's why God can say to you, if he is for us, nothing can stand against us. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.